to do. With all that being said, I'm ready to get in the Word this morning. I hope you are as well. I hope that you brought your Bibles. I hope that you're ready to receive this morning because this Word has been in my spirit for a week now, and I have been trying to figure out where we were going with this, and I think I've figured it out. So let, let me give you some storyline that leads up into this moment. I, I, over the last three weeks, God has been doing a work in us. And when I say us, I mean myself, my wife, and our team, our staff. Uh, every Saturday, we come together here at the church at 9 o'clock in the morning to pray. And we are praying in the spirit. We're praying, believing God to move in this house and in our lives. And I'm going to tell you this without a shadow of a doubt. God is moving in our midst. He is speaking to our team. He is bringing words into our church that is going to launch us into the next season of what he's called us to. And, and I need you to know that God has got great things in store. And so as we've been doing this, God's been dealing with a word in my spirit called reformation. And I, I, when I had heard the word reformation, you know, we hear all these things, reform, reformation, all these different words. And, and I was trying to figure out, God, what are you trying to say? And he said, I need you to study reformation. And so I started to look up reformation and, and, and God began to show me some things about the reformation of the church and what reformation really was. And he, he said to me, he said, Brian, there's about to be a re-reformation of this house, not this house, his house. The church globally, there is about to be a re-reformation of the house of God. The first reformation in our history happened in the 1500s and created much of what we know as the church today. The key ideas of the reformation was a call to purify the church and a belief that the Bible, not tradition or spiritualism or religion, should be the sole source of spiritual authority. Did you catch what I just said? That, we would, that the Bible would become the focal point of our existence, not our opinions, not our emotions, but the Word of God. The word reformation comes from the root word reform. It is defined as this, and I love, you know me, I love definitions. It is defined as this, the improvement or amendment of what is wrong, corrupt, and unsatisfactory. Did you catch that one? To change to a better state, form, etc., to improve by alteration, substitution, abolition, to cause a person to abandon wrong or evil ways of life or conduct, to abandon evil conduct or error. Did you, did you hear what I just said? There is a reformation that is coming to the church that is going to sweep through the house, and it is going to change the, the direction or the trajectory as to where we go when this is all over. I said this yesterday in our prayer time as we were as we were finishing up our prayer time. I said, listen, I don't believe that God created the pandemic, but I, I do believe he's riding on the pandemic. I believe he is riding. How, Pastor, how can you say it? Because God is changing how we operate. God is changing how we think. God is changing how we pursue. Sunday service is no longer enough. You got to take him home with you. The church is not just reserved for the Sunday. The church happens when you go home with your family or you go home by yourself and you become the church. The church is being shifted in this hour because God is calling us to a place as believers to a place of reformation. We've been calling this thing pandemic, the corona, or as we call it in my house, the rona. We've, been, we've called it all kinds of different names, but let's be honest. These last three weeks have been a call to reformation. A call to improve what is wrong or unsatisfactory. A call to change to a better state or to improve. A call to abandon evil conduct or error. A call for you and I to really be who we say we are, 
not visit who we are on the weekends. Come on, seriously. During the last three weeks, love has showed up in the living rooms and at the kitchen tables of families. Come on, you've played more with your kids in the last three weeks than you probably have in years. You've spent more time loving on them. You might have found out you can still ride a bike. Amen. Or maybe you play Uno or, or, or like we do. Or maybe you teach your kids to play chess. Or, or maybe you've had a prayer time with your kids. I, I said it on Friday night and I'll say it again because I, I feel like i got to keep declaring this as the pastor. Because maybe if I say it, maybe everyone else will catch it as well. That I had to spend time with my wife and pray for her and apologize because there were moments that I've led the church further than I've led her. Expecting her to follow me in the church. You go, Pastor, why would you tattle on yourself? Because that's what Reformation is. Reformation is a cleaning of the house. That means you got to let the dirty things leave and let the clean air come in. It's a call for us to change. Prayer has been instituted back into the home and not reserved just for the Sunday church service. The church has left the four walls of our building and has found itself in the marketplace and in the neighborhoods. You are loving your neighbor for the first time and didn't realize that you were ministering to him the whole time. You get up on Sundays to do church as a family with us because you want to and not because you have to. And most of us are on time. You know, you might not want us to see what you look like on the other side of this camera. You might be in your robe. Your hair might be everywhere. But it doesn't matter. You've gotten up because there is an expectation in you not to just go to church, but to hear the word of the Lord, to worship God in spirit and in truth, to actually be what you say you are, a believer. Our desire to pursue and to hear from God has increased. Come on, we're praying and reading like we've never done. I know I am. We've been slowed down so that we can walk with God and stop treating our relationship with him as a sprint, trying to see who can come in first place. He has slowed us down so that we might hear him or hear that still Small voice. It does not be in such a rush that we've missed what he's been trying to tell us for years. We are in the middle of what I believe will be the greatest outpouring any of us have ever seen. We have heard stories of outpourings. I, I, re, recently, I have been studying the Azusa Street Revival and what broke out in that moment. And I'm telling you, there is unprecedented change. I'm, I'm going to say this to you because we live in southeast Louisiana. I, I, I believe with all of my heart that the racial stigma over Louisiana is about to be broken by the Holy Spirit. That what we have become as what we treated as common play or, or commonality or just the norm in our city and in our state is about to be shifted, but it's not being shifted because we're, we're, we're just choosing to, but because the winds of God are blowing in this moment and it's causing us to be changed in this moment. And what once was the South will no longer be the South, but the place where God can dwell and his people can come together and worship in one accord, where we stop looking at colors of churches and we start coming together and saying, no, you and me, we've been called to this thing according to him and we've come to worship him in spirit and in truth that wasn't even in the notes that's just a sidebar for you I believe with all of my heart families are being restored marriages are being made whole children are finding the cross fathers are leading the house but you and I have to be willing to not only allow God to show us, but allow him to change us. Reformation always leads to a greater manifestation of the glory of God. 
reformation always leads to a greater manifestation of the glory of God. And we, for years, have been crying out, God, send your glory. God, send your reign. God, do this. But we didn't slow down long enough to wait for it. We didn't sit down long enough to let him talk. We didn't rest long enough to let him bring peace to our spirit. We kept rushing through this thing, hoping that it would work. And God says, slow down because I'm speaking. So this morning, I'm going to start a series with you. All that, we didn't even preach yet. This morning, I'm starting a series with you as our family and those of you that are watching. A message that I've entitled, Reformed. Because I'm not looking for reformation to come. I'm asking God to reform me. I'm asking God to come in and clean this house. I'm asking God to come make this thing right. I'm not asking God to make your house right. I'm asking God to make my house right. Because I want to be a better pastor at home than I am in the church. Oh, you're going to miss that one in a second. I want to lead my home better than I lead the church. Why? Because the church should be the byproduct of how I lead my family. Not my family be the byproduct of how I lead the church. We've got to shift this thing. We've got to stop waiting for the crowds. We've got to stop waiting for the masses. The Bible says, lift my name. If you, wherever my name is lifted, I'll draw all men. But we've been trying to produce things for too many years, hoping it would draw people in. That's over. It's done. It's over. From that, this point forward, the church is going to have to ride on the wave of the name of God, not the feel-good of the church. Until we're willing to shift that, we're going to miss what's happening. I said this the other day. I, I, I said this, and, and I know this is probably not a popular. Don't get mad at me. Don't send a message. Don't post it on Facebook when I say this. But I'm going to say it anyway. I kind of hope that the pandemic doesn't stop. Yeah. Pastor, why would you say that? We need to get back to life. Yeah, but I don't want to get back to life. I want to start something brand new. Amen. I don't want to get back to anything. I don't want to ever go back to where I was. I don't want to go back to the way church service went before all this shut down. I want to have something brand new. I want a greater outpouring. I want a greater manifestation. I want to put down my agenda and run after his agenda. I want to put down my thoughts and run after his plans and purposes for not only my life, but for this house. Because I believe that if we do that as a family, if you and I get up and just say, you know what, God, whatever you want to do, this church will grow. Churches all over the nation will grow. But it will not grow because of production. It will grow because the glory of God rests in the house again. God began to give this to me. He made it very clear as to the directions. Because I said, God, I got to write a series. What am I going to write? He said, I'll give it to you one piece at a time, one bite at a time. So many times on Sunday mornings, we try to feed you steak when all you can handle is an appetizer. We've gotten too busy trying to eat so much that we're not, we're not swallowing and digesting what God's trying to do in this moment. I, I can't sleep. Listen, I'm preaching to you this morning on an hour and a half of sleep. You go, Pastor, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. I can't rest. I can't sleep because God won't quit talking to me. I dozed off for like 30 minutes with my son, and then I got, found myself up at the kitchen table, and God's just writing, and I'm writing, and I'm writing, and I can't shut it off. And like, Can I just say this to you? This is the way my life was before. I mean, when you first got saved and you gave your everything to God and I said, God, I'll do whatever you want. I'll sacrifice everything if I could just have some time with you, if I could just sit at your feet, could I just have a moment with you? And, and now all of a sudden I'm getting it and I can't shake loose. 
what God's doing in my heart, what God's doing in my, in my family, what he's doing in my children, what he's doing in my wife, what he's doing in this room. I'm telling you, something is shifting, and I want it to be me. I want to be reformed. He said one piece at a time, one bite at a time. Because for so long, we've been fast food consumers, buffet line eaters, trying to get as much as we can, as fast as we can, even being picky about what we are willing to eat. So I ask that as we go forward this morning that you slow down and take this word to heart. If I've ever asked you to hear a message that I preach, please listen. Because I don't want you to miss what's about to happen. I'm not here to be sweet and cozy. I'm here to give you the word of the Lord. Receive it. Open up your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 32. And I started to think about this morning as I started to kind of go over my notes. I feel like I'm going to be in this part of scripture for the next few weeks. So by the time I'm done with this, you'll know this story really well. But before we read in chapter 32, I need to set the storyline for you. This storyline leads us to a place where we're reading the story of Jacob and Esau. The sons of Isaac and Rebekah, the grandsons of Abraham. You know, Father Abraham and many sons. Yeah, that Abraham. Jacob was second born along with his twin brother Esau. Isaac showed favor to Esau, but Rebekah, his mother, loved Jacob more. The story says that one day Esau came in from hunting, and Jacob convinced him to sell his birthright for a cup of stew. The birthright was the natural privilege of the firstborn son. He would become the head of the family and would have charge of the family, including the family property. He would be responsible for the welfare of the younger sons, the widow, and the unmarried daughters. He would exercise considerable authority over other members of the family. Let me just stop here because I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Can I just say this to you? The position of Esau is the position of Jesus. And for some reason, we have tried to take the birthright of the elder brother from him and make it our own. Let me show it to you again. Because we desire to be the head. We desire to be in charge. We desire to govern the property. We want to be responsible for the welfare of everything else. We try to handle our children and rather than giving them to God. We, 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 we exercise authority as if it belongs to us. Jacob convinced Esau to give up his birthright over a bowl of stew. The problem is we didn't convince him to convince Jesus to give up his birthright as the elder brother. We have over time taken it and run away. We have tried to live under the birthright of the elder brother rather than understanding that it belongs to him. And the way it is set up by God is perfect and in order. It goes on, it says, so Jacob swindled the birthright from Esau. And a time passes over a few chapters, and Isaac was at this point was old and blind. He told Esau to go and hunt food and prepare it and bring it to him. And when he did, Isaac would bless him before he died. So Isaac leaves and goes and starts to do that. But in the course of that, Rebekah, who loves Jacob more than Esau, goes to, goes to Jacob and says, Jacob, listen, go get me two of the best, best part of the of the of the field of, of the lambs and bring them back to me and I'll make your dad his favorite stuff and then you'll take it to him and bring it to him and he'll bless you instead of Esau. 
And, he, and Jacob responded. He said, but, but Esau, he has very hairy arms. What am I do? He said, take the fur of an animal, put it on your arms so that when he rubs your arm, he'll know it. See, deception now has come into play. So not only is a swindling spirit, but a deceptive spirit now existing in the house. And so it says there that Jacob deceives his father and Isaac steals the blessing. I'm sorry, Jacob deceives his father Isaac and steals the blessing that was reserved for his brother Esau as the firstborn. This blessing that he received placed him in a special covenant relationship with the Lord. The Hebrews counted the blessing given by the father to be very important and considered in an oral contract, which was just as binding as a written contract. So Jacob has now managed in all of his ways to steal the birthright and the blessing that belonged to Esau and then runs away. Years pass and a lot has happened. But I want to bring you back to chapter 32. And I, I would encourage you to go read. There is chapters upon chapters of context here that I would encourage you to read the storyline. But I want to deal with chapter 32 today. Jacob is now extremely blessed. You go, but how is Jacob extremely blessed? Because he stole the birthright. He stole the blessing. You can't break what God commands. Jacob was still under the blessing that was given to him by Isaac, which was given to him by Abraham. I could get into a whole bunch of stuff, but do you understand that you're under the Abrahamic covenant? That's a sidebar. Go look it up. It'll mess you up really bad. But it says in verse 9 of chapter 32, it says that Jacob was praying to God. He said, oh, Lord, you told me return to your own land and to your relatives, and you promised me I will treat you kindly. So in the storyline of chapter 32, Jacob's people tell, go and tell Esau. Uh, Jacob's people go to Esau with a word that Jacob would like to meet with Esau. Esau gives a word back to Jacob's people and says, tell Jacob, I'm coming with 400 men. And here you go, holy cow, he's coming to kill Jacob. He's angry. Out of fear, when this word comes back, Jacob begins to divide up his stuff and his camps in order to protect it. He was extremely blessed. He says in the word that he had enough people, enough cattle, and enough belongings to fill two camps. That is blessings in his life. But he subdivided them and sent them away because he thought that Esau was going to come and destroy him. He then sends gifts to Esau to appease him and stays in the camp overnight. And this is where I want to get in verse 22 because here's what God gave me. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two servants, two servant wives and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. Now, I got to stop right there. If you underline in your Bible, underline the word Jabbok. Underline that word Jabbok. Here's why. The, word, the, the, the Jabbok River is in a position, is in a place of, it's right in the middle of the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. And as I was reading, this is what God said. Jacob was in the middle of dead things and miracles. And the Bible says he crossed over between the two. He had a decision to make. Let me say this to you. In this moment of reformation, you have a decision to make. Will you stay the same and keep tickling your dead things? Or will you start stepping into the miraculous power of a God that still is alive and well? Will you walk on the water or will you still sit on the boat or, or, and complain about Peter walking on it? Or will you be like Peter and start living in fear because you were able to do it and you got scared because the waves came and touched your toes? No, no. In this hour, God's saying, here's where you are. You're right here on the Jabbok. You're in between the miracle power of God and the things where nothing can live. And you're going to have to choose which one to pick. Will I step into the Sea of Galilee or will I step into the Dead Sea? The problem is, is that we have a tendency 
to live with dead things and cover the stench than it is to go to the place where it requires us to step out in faith and believe for the miraculous. So he crosses over the Jabbok River. And in verse 23, it says this, after taking them to the other side, he sent over all of his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp and a man came and wrestled with him until dawn began to break. Let me, let me say this to you. For those of you that are wondering, we believe as theologians believe, biblical scholars believe he was wrestling with God. And as I was reading this, this is what jumped out to me. Over these last few weeks, many of us have wrestled with God. We have been in a wrestling match with God. I have heard people of great faith say, God, why would you let this happen? I have heard people of great faith say, God has quit on us. He's left us to die. I've heard people of great faith say things so contrary to the gospel, so contrary to the word of God. We have all been in wrestling matches. Come on, work with me for a second. We've been wrestling our children. We've been wrestling with our lives, our finances, our relationships, our families, even our walk with God. We've been wrestling, trying to figure out what the next step, the next phase, the next situation is. And God says, listen, this is part of this because I'm bringing you to a point of reformation. And in points of reformation is when wrestling happens because you're going to have to wrestle with yourself. And what you think you know and what you've always been doing. Can I, just, can I just say this as, as a sidebar? Because I, and I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. I'm not trying to be hardcore. I'm not trying to be too tight. But i got to say this this moment. The day of playing is over. Oh, I hear that so strongly in my spirit every morning I wake up. The day of playing church is over. The day of Sunday attendance, checking boxes and making sure everybody sees you and you tell everybody you're great and, and, and everything's holy in your life is over. No, now we're coming to a place where you will not be able to sit in this house and then go home and not do something with what's been handed to you. Because if you don't use it, you'll lose it. Pastor, don't say that. Don't say it. No. What I'm telling you is you got to look at this moment and say, God, what are you speaking? Not God, why, but God, what? We've been spending too long in moments of struggle telling God why. That's the wrestle statement. But the what is when we go, hey, God, I, I, whatever you want, I got it. I want it. That's what I want. I don't know what this is, but I want it. We've got to stop wrestling with God. He says that he, he sat on the other side and, and wrestled with God. Aren't you tired of wrestling yet? Aren't you tired of fighting what God wants to do in your life? Aren't you tired of holding on to what has seemingly tried to kill you? And, hold, and aren't you ready to hold on to what God wants to deliver you into? I'm always reminded of Joshua seeing the giants. And Joshua and Caleb come back and they give a report of there's giants in the land. But then they said, but we can conquer those giants. What are you saying this morning? What are you declaring this morning? Oh, it's going to be bad? Can I, can I just say this to you? I know for a lot of people when Katrina happened, a lot of people said it was the worst thing that ever happened to them. It was the best thing that ever happened in my life. I met my beautiful wife, got married, have four amazing kids today. And throughout this entire situation, although I have missed our family dearly, the blessings of God have not stopped. The provisions of God have not dried up. 
My wife and I talk about this all the time. We're like, everything is good. Because I believe with everything in my heart that God rides on the waves of calamity. He doesn't leave us to die in them, but we got to look for them on the top of it. Not be consumed by what's coming. Have you found him in this yet? Do you see him yet? It goes on in, 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 in that same bit of scripture in verse 25. It says, when the man saw that he would not win the match. We're talking about, some say the angel, some say it was God. But when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, I've got to give you this revelation that God gave me this morning when I got to the building this morning. I've read that years after year after year after year, and I've read that, and I went, wow, he held on till he got his blessing. But it didn't jump out to me until this morning where it says, I won't let you go until you bless me. Jacob was saying in that moment that the blessing that he was under was not the right blessing. For a long time, we have claimed the blessings of God. But they are nothing more than produ produced, self-manufactured feel-goods. And God says, when I reform the church, you will now walk in my blessings, not yours. I am blessed beyond measure. And a lot of it has to do with how hard I work. And how hard you work. But now I feel like we are as the church about to walk into a blessing. That the Bible says that there's not room enough to receive. I am turning my cups right side up empty. Putting my jars on the table and saying God fill her up. I'm not putting anything in this thing anymore. I'm going to let you do it. And I'm going to let you bring it. But I'm going to be in the middle of it while you do it. I'm not going to sit over here and go, God, why haven't you filled my jars yet? I'm going to worship you while the jars are empty. I'm going to praise you when there's nothing there. I'm going to celebrate you because you're still the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And you change not. I'm going to rest assured that your promises are faithful unto all, unto all, unto all generations. Here's what I'm believing. That not only my house will be blessed, but my kids' houses will be blessed. That the blessing that's about to be poured out in this this moment when we come out of this thing is going to bless all the generations that are attached to me that my son who's 12 my daughter who's 10 my little girl who's five my son who's four and their kids and their kids and their kids and their kids because I believe we're about to walk into something where we hold on to God tighter than we've ever held him before that we walk with him in the day and the night that we don't need him to be a one-trick pony or perform uh, some kind of a sideshow in order for us to follow him. That we finally fall into the place where Pastor Eko and I were talking on Friday, a place called devoted, a place called committed, a place that says we will not waver. We will not walk away. We will stay in the course of this thing even if it takes us unto death because to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. A place of consecration, a place of, of, of supernatural, a place of divine encounters, a place where the prophet lives again, a place where the apostle lives again, a place where the evangelist lives again, a place where worship rises in the house louder than the feel-good of the song, but it becomes the declaration of a people, and we sing joyfully, and we declare with, with, with power and anointing. The church is getting up. 
stop hitting the snooze button. Because you might miss it. You might miss it. It goes on in verse 27. I hope you're getting something out of this because I'm sweating. Verse 27, it says this. It says, uh, the man who was wrestling with Jacob said, what's your name? He replied, Jacob, stop right there. Stop, 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 stop. Do you understand what he just said? He said, I'm Jacob. I guarantee you that all the stuff he had didn't change how he said that. If, if I was there, I bet you the way he said it was, my name's Jacob. There was nothing. I'm a supplanter. I'm a thief. I got all this because I swindled my brother out of his birthright. You understand now why he asked for God to bless him? Because out of all the things he had, he still was not okay. He said, oh, that you would bless me. What's your name? My name is Jacob. Can I just tell you what the first part of this reformation is going to do? It's going to change the names of the house. I'm not talking about the billboard outside that shows the name of our church. I mean, we're going to stop being a laughing stock of people who are not believers. But that when you say you are part of a church or you're a part of the body of believers, they're going to want to know where you are and where you're going. Because now, watch this, and I believe this with all of my heart. In this moment and in this season, we have been given greater value than we've ever had. The naysayers can no longer say that God does not exist. And if they choose to, they will reject not only the idea of God, but the promises of God. I'm, 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 I'm still a person who believes in the God of the Old Testament. I don't believe that we throw out the Old Testament because Jesus came. I believe that they both have to meet with each other. If that was the case, then when Jesus came, why didn't he just take those books and throw them away? Why is it we needed to read those? Because we need to understand how the Father sees it, which gives us understanding why he sent Jesus. But it does not eliminate the Father. Can I just be honest with you? It's time that we, be will, that we are willing to not only allow God to change our names, to remove us from our past, but to allow us to change what we've been doing, change what we call this thing. Not just, oh, we go to church on Sundays. Man, I go to the house of God. I go dwell with other believers because that's what the word says to do. I do it because when we come together on the Sunday, it's a celebration of what God completed in us, through us, and around us on Monday through Saturday. It is not no longer the energized moment to give you the pick-me-up to conquer the week ahead of you. It is the celebratory moment of us as believers to come together. See, that's why I think you're getting up on these Sunday mornings and you're jumping online and you're still watching and you're still connected is because you're now realizing how big and how great your God really is. And it is changing how you think and how you act. It is changing your name. The Bible says there's nothing greater than your name. It's allowing it to change you. And now he's changing the house of God. And he's changing how we operate as a church. And he's changing how we think of things and how we approach things and how we speak of things and how we walk in things. He's shifting everything. And you've got to be available to the name change. Listen, when you got married, a name change happened. Hmm. Maybe just maybe we've been spending our time dating God rather than marrying him. Because if we're dating God, it's easy to break up. 
than it is to stay committed. And God says, in this hour, I'm not looking for a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I'm looking for a husband and a wife. I'm looking for the bridegroom. I'm looking to be in covenant relationship with you. I do not want to be visited. I want to dwell. We have got to change this thing. He says, I won't let you go. He says, what's your name? He said, my name is Jacob. He says, your name will no longer be Jacob. And I believe this is a word for the house of God in this hour for the global church. Your name will no longer be Jacob. You will not be defined by your past failures. You will not be defined by what you didn't do. You will be defined by how whole, how you hold on to God in this moment. He says, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men. And what does he say? He says, and have won. And have become victorious through the process. I believe, this is what I shared with the staff last yesterday morning. I said, I believe that the story of Esau and Jacob is a story of the modern day church right now. The church is Jacob and God is Esau. And God is giving us an opportunity of reformation, an opportunity to be reformed in this moment, an opportunity for the house of God to be cleaned out, an opportunity for your own personal homes to be cleaned out, an opportunity for your minds to be cleaned out, an opportunity for your, 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 all of your stuff to be removed so that God can do something brand new in your midst. Listen, in order for you and I to see this reformation, we have to let the name change happen. We have been Jacob long enough. It is time that we become Israel. The Bible says that the people of Israel were the chosen people of God. It is time that we step into the place where God has positioned and purposed us so that we can walk in his marvelous light, so that we can, we can gaze upon his beauty, that we can dwell in his temple all the days of our lives. And he goes on in verse 29. He says, please tell me your name, Jacob said. And, and, and the man replied, why do you want to know my name? I think because there was still something in Jacob I said, could this really be true? I've thought I was blessed, but I really knew it wasn't. And in this moment, this man blesses me, and he now wants to know who I am. He hasn't realized who I was the whole time. It says there, it says, his name has been changed to Israel, for he has wrestled with God and with man. How many times has God been in our midst we didn't even know he was there? We called him another thing rather than the one who he is. We didn't call him God. We didn't refer to him God. We didn't give him the credit for the moment. We, we gave everything else the credit. We gave ourselves the credit because we wanted to be Jacob. And, and he says, but who's your, what's your name? And he says, you don't need to know my name. My, my name doesn't matter to you. What matters is, is you're blessed in this moment. He says, and he blessed Jacob there. And then Jacob named the place Penal, which means face of God. Ah, come on. I, I, maybe I feel this stronger than you, maybe because I've been sitting on it for a week. But man, could you imagine what it would be to see the face of God? We say he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And doggone it, I want a glory of God moment. If he says he's the same yesterday, man, I want to walk out on the lake and go walk on water. Pastor, how can you do that? Come on, seriously, Pastor. Going, Stop it. Stop it. See, that's the problem. In this hour, there is not any ability to be cynical or to be doubtful or to be questioning. I believe that if the word says it, that's mine. I'm going to walk in it. 
He said, please tell me your name. And he goes on and blessed me. He says, he named the place Penal, for I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Penal, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Is this not where we are right now? We've been wrestling, but let's be serious. We've been wrestling with God for a long time. I can go back for 15 years and listen to the messages that I've preached. If I look over time, I have been trying to convince the church. And I think pastors have been doing this all over the world. Convincing the church to just let God be God. Now we have to make a decision if we're going to allow him to be God. But I need you to understand that if you let him be God, you're going to have to get out of the way. You're going to have to become a vessel. Not the one who pours, but the one who receives. And when the season is right, he will allow you to pour. But I believe in this season right now, he is wiping and cleaning. I said it. I'm just reminded of things that I. That we've talked about it yesterday. I said, I said, well, the problem in the church is that we've been living off of old anointing oil. Keep rubbing the bottom of the barrel going, look, there's still oil there. But did you know that oil grows rancid over time? When it's not used, when it's not, when it's not out, it, 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 when it's concealed, when it's put away, it, it can go rancid over time. And yet we keep dipping our hands in it going, God, I still have anointing. But God says, I didn't come that you might have a residue of anointing. I came that I might fill your jars to overflowing, that I might give you greater anointing, that I might pour my spirit into you and on you and around you, into your families, into your homes, into your kids, to your generations. This is where we are as a church right now. We've been wrestling with the idea of God for a long time. We've created uh, subcultures of religion. We've created subcultures of doctrine. We've twisted scripture. We've taken one scripture from here, one scripture from here, sandwiched it together in hopes that it would make us feel better about our Jacob mentalities. And God says, enough. It's time for a name change. You're going to have to shift from who you were to who I'm calling you to be. We've been wrestling long enough. And it says there in verse 1 of chapter 33, and this is where I'm closing, and I, I hope that you're receiving this. I, I, it's very hard sometimes to deliver everything that God lays upon you in these moments, but it says in Genesis chapter 33, verse 1, it says, Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming, and with him were 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maidservants, and he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But watch what verse 4 says, and I'm going to try to compose myself when I read this. But Esau... But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept together. It goes on in that same part of scripture where Jacob says, I mean Esau says to Jacob, he said, who are these people? He said, those are my kids. And it says that Esau embraced them. 
I think so many times we're afraid to cross over because we're afraid God's going to be angry with us. But God is standing on the other side of our decision saying, just come. Yeah, there's times where I've been upset with you. There's times where I've been frustrated with your decisions. There's times where I wish you'd have done it differently. But in this moment, this is what I feel like. This is what I feel like deep in my spirit. The church, Jacob, is standing on the other side of the jabot. God is over here. He's Esau. And he sees us and we see him. And we're having to make decisions of what we're going to do. And God's saying cross over. But I need you to know that if you'll be willing to cross over between the miracles and the dead things... If you'll be willing to cross over to the other side, if you'll be willing to meet me, I will embrace you. I will hold you. I will kiss you. And you and I will be restored like we've never been before. See, Jacob didn't walk across the Jabbok as Jacob. He went as Israel. One who had found favor with God and man. And his brother. If you read the context of scripture in all those chapters, it says that Jacob refers to Esau as his servant. Jacob refers to himself as the servant of Esau, his brother. Maybe, just maybe, it's time for us to stop trying to be the man and start serving the man. Serving God. Serving him in ways we've never served before. Not with our attendance, by loving our neighbors, by bringing God back into our houses, you know, opening our Bibles again and reading them as if we have intent, intentions to grow and learn and receive revelation, the rhema of God. Jacob saw Esau. Israel saw Esau. Israel, the chosen people of God, Esau, representing God in a moment of restoration. And it says that Esau embraced Israel. We have to be willing to let God change the definitions of who we are in order for us to become reformed in this moment. You cannot go back to who you were. I don't do this very often. But I feel this so strong in my spirit. And I have to say it this way. Thus saith the Lord. You cannot go back to who you were and the way things were. I don't want to go back. I want more sleepless nights. I want more moments of being woken up at 3 o'clock while God gives me a word. I want to lay my head on my pillow at night knowing that my relationship with God is not only secure, but is stronger than it's ever been. I don't want to be a Sunday worshiper, a Sunday attender. I want to be a God, a man after God's own heart. Maybe you're watching, and maybe you'll watch this later on today. And you say, Pastor, I, I want those things. But you don't know all the things I've done wrong. No, I don't, but I know all the things God did right. 
one of the greatest things he did right was making you. For this moment, for this hour. You've missed enough moments. Don't miss this one. God said, I made you before the foundations of the earth. I walked with you. I was intimate with you in your mother's womb. I counted the very hairs on your head. I know your end from your beginning. How could a God that says all of that see you as a Jacob and not an Israel? Maybe what you thought was wrestling with God was only just wrestling with you. God says, come on over. And I'll embrace you and I'll hold you. So maybe you've never received God. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you've been in the church. and Maybe you're sitting at home going, man, it stinks. I'm tired of doing church on TV. I want to get back to the church. Please don't approach it like that. Wherever you are and wherever you're sitting, this is your moment. This is your moment to allow God in to such a level that it will change you forever. Come on, you know those things that we hold on to that we think God will just politely forgive us, but we know God's not pleased with. Those things that we hold on to because we think it's just a little something. God understands. God knows my heart. He does. He does know your heart. And he's, he's calling you to come across and to be restored back to him and to step into your new name and stop living the old lifestyle. I, I can't tell you. I, I believe this thing. This reformation that's coming to the church is going to be led by a spirit of repentance that we have never seen. And the unfortunate part is that the most of the repentance is going to happen with church members, not outsiders. Because the church has to get right in order to receive the next great harvest. And the ones that need to be harvested are watching us going, but you do the same thing I do. You just go to church on Sunday and lift your hands and do the show and check the box, but you do the same. You talk like I talk. You act like I act. You walk like I walk. You're no different than me. And God's going, in this moment, I'm calling you out of what you used to be, and I'm calling you into something greater so that the world can see that I've marked you, that I've purposed you, that I've called you, and I want to use you for my glory and so that they might receive the God that you say you serve and the world might be shifted. And, and it's not on the Sunday morning that it happens, but it's on the Monday morning when you greet your neighbor. It's on the Tuesday morning when you walk into the office and you love on somebody or you ask that co-worker, can I pray with you, even though you know they don't believe, but you know they need a touch from God. You don't hide your Jesus in your pockets anymore. You don't keep your Bibles under your car seats or on your shelves, but you carry it with you in your heart. We go to the next level. We always joke about it in the church about, we jokingly call it the, uh, the youth camp fire. You know, it's when the youth go to camp and then they, they get pumped up about God and they come and they're like, man, we're going to win our schools. And then four months later, it falls apart. That's not what this is. The fanning of the flames is happening. The flames have been burning a long time. But we've allowed them to dwindle down because we wanted to be relevant in this hour. 
We've allowed the fire of God to dwindle down because we, we've wanted to be hip and cool in this moment. Show me one time that Jesus was ever hip and cool. He didn't adapt to culture. He changed culture. Better yet, he created culture. And then he left the earth and he said, do the same thing I did. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that we're stepping into the end times. But I will tell you this. I think the end times started when Jesus left the earth. Stop looking for a time on a clock and operate in the time that you have. So whether you're a believer or a non-believer, I need you to understand, yes, Jesus is coming. He is. Not yet, though. He still has something for us to do. Let him change your name today. I got to say this to you because I feel this in my spirit. God forgives you if you just ask him. All you got to do is right where you sit there. Maybe you've been saved your entire life or maybe, maybe you came out the womb holier than anybody. I don't know. Or maybe you're sitting on this thing and you're watching this and you're a sinner and you know that God is not pleased with your life right now. All you have to do is say, God, I'm a sinner. Or say, God, I've been playing the game. I need you to forgive me. I repent. Do you know what happens? The Bible says when one repents, all of heaven rejoices. But I need you to understand this. Repentance is not saved for that which does not know. It is reserved for all of us. And my prayer is that a spirit of repentance would come on all of us. That repentance, oh man, would become my worship. Not that I live in sin and I have to keep going back to God for repentance, but that I would live in a place called repentance, not visit a place called repentance. That I would stay with a repentant heart, that I would constantly lay my heart before God and allow Him to bring correction to me so that I might walk with God, so that I might hear from God. The church is changing. You're changing. We're changing. I want to be reformed, and I hope you do too. I want to pray with you this morning as we close. It's my hope and prayer that you'll let this word sit in your spirit all week long. Don't go tell everybody what you're going to do. Just make the changes. Trust me, when we get back together, we're all going to know that we've changed together. Because our worship will be louder than it's ever been. The glory of God will rest in the house of you. And what we've been praying for, we've been believing for, my wife and I, been praying for this for five years that we would see signs miracles and wonders I believe we're about to see everything everything and I don't want you to miss it Father I thank you for this word God I want to be reformed reformed that means you might have to put me in a tight spot to get me there. But 
Maybe that's what you've been doing this whole time. Maybe we're walking through this not because of global pandemic, but because, God, you are making a clarion call from heaven. It's time to allow the potter to form the clay. Crawl up on my wheel and let me do my best work. But God, I ask that in this process, you work out my kinks, man. Because I know I got them. I know I don't do it right all the time. I know I don't do it great all the time. I wish I could always be better. But the great part is, God, you didn't call me to be great. You called me to be good and faithful. And we'll leave the greatness up to you. Father, it is my prayer that we would become a church, a global church that desires you more than us. That desires a move more than opinions and feelings. Father, my prayer is that the church would not be led by a preacher but by your spirit God I will gladly I will gladly step down to allow you to have your way in ways that I could only dream of I won't let you go until you bless me won't let you go until you bless me. Let that be the cry of our hearts so that we can be changed forever. Leave our past. Step into our promise. Father, go with us this week. Let your anointing be upon us. Let your presence and your power be with us. Let joy overtake us. Let it fill our homes with laughter. Let it do good like a medicine, God. Let, it, let, let your spirit reign. Let us be drawn to your presence like never before. Let the church thrive in homes and on jobs so that when we come back together, the celebration is like never before. Let the Reformation begin in us.